Peter Wengman, Raymond Stans, Egon Spengler. Stand up! Get up! You too, Mr. Tully. Find you guilty on all charges. Order you to pay fines in the amount of $25,000 each. We sent you to 18 months in the city correctional facility at Rikers Island. Edie, she's twitching. I'm not finished! On a more personal note, let me just go on record as saying that there's no place for fake charlatans. Uh, Your Honor? Shut up! Fixers like you in decent society. Your Honor, this is important. You play on the gullibility of innocent people. Yes, sir. Be quiet. But my hands were tied by the unalterable fetters of the law. And I would invoke the tradition of our illustrious father. Reach back to a pure stern of justice and have you Somebody get me the ghost bus. Hi, Dana. Hi, Ray. Well, I know I'm just asking for the big hurt, but I thought I'd give us one more chance. He tortured me. He pulled my ears. Hello, Peter. Hello, Dana. It's hot and it's ready to pop. Yeah, it, it, it's all over the city, Pete. Under it, actually. Oh, rivers of this stuff. Yes, and yeah. it's all flowing right to the museum. Yeah, the museum. I'll be at your side the photos you took of Vigo. The spectrogram shows a river of slime flowing behind him. Just like the one I saw underground. Dana, the guys are going down to the sewer to check for slime stuff. You want to blow off this dinner thing and go with them? Yeah, Vigo the Carpathian, born 1505, died 1610. Poison, stabbed. Shot, hung, stretched, disemboweled, drawn, and quartered. Ouch. Hey, Vigo. Yeah, you, the bimbo with the baby. Only a Carpathian would come back to life now and choose New York. We'd like to shoot the monster. Could you move, please? Ray. 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 Just that one in a million And now we're doing all around you. Bumba cut. Uh, you know what I've been getting into lately? Uh, Ugly Betty. So I finished. I'm a big fan of hers, acting. But I finished Superstore. America Ferrera? Yeah. Hell, man. I finished Superstore and I was like. Yeah, I gotta try that ugly Betty. She's amazing. Is she ugly? No, I think I think America Ferrera is gorgeous. I, I yeah, I was just kidding. But yeah, yeah, and 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 whatever it is, you know, I know that in that movie, there's or in that show, there's, you know, uh, 
body issues or whatever. You know, it's all about the fashion industry. But I obviously never something I thought I would like. Mm. But just because of America Ferrera, and she plays a completely dish. She like disappears into this role and just becomes this, you know, this wide-eyed person. Yeah, I'm 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 starting to become a fan of uh, America Ferrera. Yeah, yeah. She does some good acting. I just started watching Sopranos again. It's a good show. And I love it. I, I need show. to watch that movie. Well, the, you want to watch the movie, but wait till you watch Not the show. Not the movie, but yeah, yeah. The, the Saints of Newark but, or whatever. Yeah, but. I want to watch the movie, but I want to rewatch the show again so that I can get re-familiar. Because, I mean, it's been, it's been 12, 13 years since I've watched this. So I've never seen it. I've never seen mm. Sopranos, but I've never been a huge mafia person. Oh, I love those movies, man. Those, um, are, those are some of my favorite. Well, the same reason I haven't watched Godfather oh, or Godfather Part 2. Oh, I know. I know, and I keep getting crap for it. I know. I'm going to give you crap for it. I mean, but I, that is one of the greatest films I know. ever. And I made. should watch it just for the film, not for the not for the mafia part of it. But, but the acting in it is just phenomenal. Like James, uh, what's his face? Uh, James Can. That's James who Ken. I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah, he's the son. Yes, uh, Sonny. Yeah, yeah, Sonny Corleone. Corleone. Do you know that before um, before uh, James Can did that scene in Elf, mm-hmm. where he yells at Buddy mm-hmm. and tells him to get out of his life? To get that intensity, John Favreau whispered something to him, and apparently he was saying, "Remember, you're Sonny fucking Corleone." <laughs> you know? Well, what's funny about that? He <laughs> got him to go off. John Favreau is on The Sopranos. He plays himself um, as a director and everything. And in uh, what? Uh, in Sopranos, James. Uh, he's he plays John Favreau in Sopranos. One of the characters is trying to make a movie, and I did not know that. Yeah pretty good interesting interesting um wow you got that many notes huh yeah i got a lot um but here's the thing we've been out for a week yeah matt got real sick uh i did not get covid but um i got a respiratory illness um that usually affects just the elderly and the infants um and but it also does not do good for asthmatics no which is a category i fall under so um i was pretty much down and out and slept for a whole week um trying to get rid of this my mm-hmm. voice is still all messed up because i've been coughing non-stop for a good week and like i said no covid mm-hmm. but it was this other thing um and i don't know how i got it but i'm glad to be uh clearing up out of it obviously i still got some a little bit of congestion still uh, but we're going to try to push through this episode so we can get through this and then see the new Ghostbusters movie. Um, yuppers. Yuppers, yuppers. Um, so, Ghostbusters 2. Um, this is an interesting movie. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of bad, about, uh, a, a lot of negative um, comments and opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that they are all valid. And I think you agree with some, and I don't, and we're going to get into that. Yeah. Uh, get the intro out of the way. It's, uh, today we're talking about Ghostbusters 2. Uh, this movie came out in 1989. It was directed by Ivan Reitman, again, uh, directing after Ghostbusters Part 1 as well. Um, again, the writers uh, are Dan, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Uh, I think um, Ivan Reitman did some writing as well. Uh, and then, um, obviously, it stars, again, uh, Bill Murray as Dr. Peter Venkman, Dan Aykroyd as Dr. Raymond Stantz, Sigourney Weaver as Dana Barrett, 
Harold Ramis as Dr. Egon Spangler, Rick Moranis as Lewis Telly, Ernie Hudson as Winston Zeddemore, Annie Potts, Peter McNichol, uh, Harris Eulin, David Margulies, and Kurt Fuller, yep. uh, who I know as Woody from Psych. And we also have Winston Zeddemore, uh, Ernie Hudson, who played... And I know Kurt Fuller from Supernatural. So oh, okay. He played Zachariah. But I like this because it's a big thing for me. Psych is is tied for my favorite show of all time with Smallville. Oh, um, it got moved up to Tide, huh? Yeah. Uh, lately, it's been, it's been, I'd say for the last year or two, it's about Tide. Um, you know, I still consider my top three favorites, Psych, Smallville, and Justified, but Psych and smallville are right there but it has um ernie hudson as winston zeddemore in this obviously and kurt fuller as uh hardemeyer who he is the assistant to the mayor but these two are both in psych and uh, kurt fuller plays woody the uh the uh what is it mortician not mortician the um medical examiner mm-hmm. and um obviously uh ernie hudson plays gus's dad yeah you know uh mr uh mr um, gus Mr. Guster. That was basically his name, Mr. Guster. Um, so this movie came out five years. It took him five years to get a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know why that was? Mm-hmm. Why it took him so long? I don't really know why. Get Murray back on. Yeah, I, well, here's the thing. What I, From what I read is that they, they didn't really want to. They didn't plan on doing a part two. I mean, they didn't warrant a part two. This was just supposed to be like a one-off thing. Another reason why Bill Murray didn't mind, you know, like doing it. You know, he didn't think he was coming back for a sequel. But in between 1984 and 1989, this huge show called The Real Ghostbusters. Yep. Uh, which is a cartoon came out. And... That is what blew up Ghostbusters in popularity. Yeah. There was the first one, but a lot of a lot of adults thought it was a little too scary, a little too much for the kids, a little yeah. too adult. But it was just there, just enough to where the company could be like, hmm, let's make a cartoon out of this. Yeah. Kids are love it. They all I like their different cartoon. It's kind of like the Ninja Turtles. You got your favorite Ghostbuster. You got your yeah. favorite Ninja Turtle. And they all got their different personalities and stuff. So, yeah, in between then, uh, this show called um, The Real Ghostbusters came out, and it had the cartoon versions of all our our people that we knew. Janine has become a very quirky uh, person with uh, shoulder length, you know, red red hair, um, which she then, you know, has in this this part two as well. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it... A lot of it, um, the the uh, the adult part of it was brought down in part two because of the cartoon. It had gotten so popular with kids that, uh, that 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 they couldn't be as adult as they were in the first one. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so they 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 took five years to do it, and they finally got around to doing it. I'm actually very surprised that Bill Murray did it because, um, mm-hmm. as we've talked about before, he doesn't do sequels. Uh, do you do you know of any sequel that he's ever done? A part two of a movie that he's done? Didn't they do a Caddyshack two? Wasn't he in that? They did a Caddyshack two. I don't know if he was in it or not. I think the closest thing would be like, you know, Wes Anderson movies because a lot of people say that some of those take place in the same universe or whatever. But yeah. So, anyways, that explains Janine's new appearance because mm-hmm. if you remember in the first one, she was a very severe person. She didn't put up with a bunch of uh, yeah. silly garbage. 
because that's all Venkman was was silly garbage. And yeah. whenever she would talk to him, he would infuriate her because <laughs> she she was pretty much like his personal secretary. Yeah, he's yeah. like, don't you have some like papers to type up or something and she's like you know i can make blah 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 you know more money than this ghostbusters what do you want you know that was her attitude in the first one yeah. in the second one she's very playful she doesn't yeah. get stressed out and she's not in love with uh with with uh, spangler anymore no it's just t- tully yeah for some reason because yeah, t- tully's tully. in the cartoon as well and she's got this red hair with this leopard print yep. uh jacket fur coat and whatever completely different than the librarian short bob with the glasses and look that she had in the first one and everything. So, um, well, and 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 also, you know, Slimer played in the cartoon was a a bigger role. You know, I mean, Slimer he was like their little mascot. Yeah, and their stuff. mascot, and then yeah. and then basically he goes, and then in this one, they brought him back to be kind of like a mascot. All he was doing was eating Lewis's yeah, lunch, and exactly. then he drove a bus later on for <laughs> some reason. I don't know where he got that bus from either. And people maybe were on the bus, really weren't wanted, they? Yeah, maybe he just really wanted to drive a bus. Maybe, why? because people were actually on the bus being mm-hmm. driven by this weird John Belushi ghost. <laughs> um, so what, okay, so this is this is generally looked at as a, a far inferior, not just inferior or less good, far inferior movie to the first one. Why do you think it got so much um, negativity? Well, <laughs> I feel like it got so much negativity because they changed the chemistry from the first one to the second one. How so? What do you mean? Well... It, they toned it down a lot more in the second one, made toned. it more, more, more child friendly, kid friendly. Okay, right, and so they, they, and then they modeled a lot of this one, the, especially the characters and things like that, off the cartoon. You know, they, they really saw the success of the cartoon, so they, they started modeling the characters like Janine and and uh, even Tully to a point. You know, and a lot of these other characters were were made to be more like the cartoon characters because they saw the success in it. And I feel like even the jumpsuits changed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they had the darker jumpsuits, I think in the cartoon. So I I feel like, I feel like the, the tone was different. And then the way that they tried to model it off the cartoon, it changed the chemistry of the first one where the first one, it was just kind of a lot more adult friendly, darker, you know, kind of, kind of thing. You know what I mean? I mean, in in this one you had like the silly pervert you know um, what's his face uh, silly pervert from, from the number who's from the silly movie, pervert the TV show numbers uh, David Crumholtz yeah no Damn. no not David Crumholtz the, the other guy numbers. I know but you know that's not who I'm talking to oh Peter McNichol yeah I love Peter McNichol I can't wait to talk about him yeah. he's he's pretty much the best part of this movie but but it's just the fact that you know it, it he it, was in uh, Dracula uh, Dead and Loving It with Leslie yeah Nelson I know too. I remember that actually <laughs> I do remember that. he was the guy that ate bugs <laughs> yeah he was uh, what was his name oh gosh it was some funny name but yeah he would always eat the bugs yeah. and stuff he's he is an amazing actor he is and but it, you know it just kind of it was a lot more lighthearted than the first one in, in a way, you know, it was darker. The first one was a lot more darker. This one was a lot more funner. I, th- I felt like, you know, yeah. that they were going with it. That's why I think a little bit of that. And then, you know, one thing I really wanted to talk about was, you know, Bill Murray's acting in this one from the difference between this one and the first one. Do you think he phoned it in? I, I think he, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like it was just kind of like he wasn't trying as much. You know, he was trying to push that character to be a, a lot more sleazier than he should have been. He was a very dirtbag. I was about to say, he was a very dirtbaggy, sleazy person in the first one. Yeah. And yeah. he was supposed to be that way. Like, yeah, he had a, an arc and it changed at the end and everything. Yeah. But he was still, I mean, like when he's sitting there just drinking that alcohol at the, at, and drinking that, that bottle of liquor at the beginning and he sits yeah. it down, you know, the call it fate and everything. Yeah. But, you know, he just he's just a sleazy guy, whereas in this one he seemed a little bit more upstanding. Yeah, to a point, to a point, you know. And he, But, I mean, even doing on the – and it was weird because, like, between the first one, you, you know he's kind of a car, uh, car salesman. He's he's a con man in a way, you know, because – What did she say in the first one? Uh, you're more like a game show host. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we're, we're – now he has a show, okay, on that basically dis- tries he, – he pretty much clowns on people – that are making his field successful or or filling his field up with uh, opportunities. Well, Venkman believes in the supernatural, but he doesn't believe it's as as casual and and prevalent and usual. Yeah, as some like you have these charlatans and and they just come in all the time. Everybody's got powers and stuff. So I don't think he. I think he makes fun of most of the time. Uh, most of these people because most of the time it's all garbage book. And I think that's what his show's about. His show on the film was about basically disproving people and and adding his own he, little he, bit of comedy into he, which it. Which is funny because he knows that ghosts are real. You know, in this world, you right. know, he knows that and he's seen them and he's fought them. So he knows that they're they're lurking, you know, but he just still is disproving it in a way. And I feel like he's just still kind of a little sleazy in the way that he's he's taking his career where he could be a, a scientist. I mean, he's a scientist, you know, he's a psychologist, but it's like you would think that he would maybe try to take his career to more heights. In I, a way. I think he knows he knows that ghosts exist and supernatural stuff exists and everything. But he also. um he also is not going to take every single time. Yeah. You know, the same thing with whenever um, Spangler and Ray would bring him something. He didn't believe him. Yeah. You know, until it actually started happening. And then, you know, it happened. And then he kind of was just like, ah, whatever, until it would happen again, you know. Yeah. So he doesn't believe he's the type of person that he believes it's out there, but he never believes that it's happening right now. Yeah. He never believes that it's in this moment until he actually sees the proof of it. Yeah. Then he's like, oh, man. And and what I wrote here is I think Ghostbusters 2 suffers from knowing what it is, mm-hmm. because in the first Ghostbusters, it had to walk a line between comedy, horror and romance. Yeah. Right, uh, a little bit of romance with with Peter and 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 Dana and everything, um, and then I had to walk that line between you know the right amount of comedy, the Saturday Night Live style comedy, and the right amount of you know really you know crawl up your skin horror type stuff, and so and, and they had to do all that while still being family friendly because one of the original interviews you know Dan Aykroyd actually tells I think it's Letterman or something he's like no this is a family family movie so Ghostbusters is always meant to be a family movie even though it was always more adult but it's supposed to be a family friendly so so it was walking that line between those and still being a family friendly friendly movie so it, it I felt like Ghostbusters 1 didn't know what it was until it was finished mm-hmm. so it was real kind of random and it was just kind of this lightning in a bottle thing that you that is so hard to repeat yeah um uh, and in this second one they, they were trying to recreate that spirit 
and maybe too much put too much emphasis on one thing or another at different times. Like, you know, a little bit too much on the romance or too much on the comedy, too much on the horror or whatever. Instead of it being this kind of unique thing that they didn't even know what it was until it was all finished, mm-hmm. now they had something to kind of aim towards. They had the, the, the first one. They had the... Um, they knew what it, what they had to aim for as far as the comedy and the horror. They had elements of the cartoon that they had to play to, you know, yeah. uh, to, to... So it was a very... It's kind, of, it's kind of like the Star Wars and Clone Wars uh, formula in a way. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, Ghostbusters didn't do it first, but, you know, it's kind of that, that thing where they're, they're trying to make the cartoon canon as much as the actual films are, you yeah. know, and that's kind of what... I feel like they tried to do a lot with this film is that they tried to make bring in the cartoon as being canon to basically show what they were doing from part one to part two. Also, go ahead. No, that's that's pretty much it. I I think I think it's, you know, the same kind of aspect of it. You know, they they really want to, you know, make this all canon. You Mm -hmm. know, so it's like a lot bigger universe than it you know, that we see in just those two movies. Yeah. Um, also, they're not scared anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, in part one, they were excited and fascinated, but they were scared to death. Yeah. To the point where the two smartest guys on the team lost their nerve from fear mm-hmm. in the, the final part until they kind of had to catch their footing again. Yeah. <laughs> in this one, it's more like, it's more like an investigation, you know. Uh, Aykroyd and even Remus are, are doing Venkman's hero quips and trash talk, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas Venkman, uh, you know, Egon wasn't doing any of that yeah. stuff, but and neither was Ray. Whereas they were more just fascinated about what's going on and then scared. Mm-hmm. Now they're doing the quippy stuff that like Venkman did, right? Yeah, they're doing the hero quips and and, and trash talk. You know, uh, Venkman seems to not want to be a Ghostbuster anymore. Yeah. Um, he, he wanted to at the beginning to get that fame and everything, but now he's got a show and he's got his different things. He saw how they got shafted on the uh, on their the job that they did and everything. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't seem like he wants to be a Ghostbuster anymore. Um, and it feels like they need more of the fear to make them like the everyman again, you know? Yeah. Like that's what, they were, that's what they were in the first one. They were exterminators. They were the everyman. You know, the movies, the first movie's finale and cartoons made them heroes because they weren't heroes, remember. But then they did that heroic thing. Instead of taking a, a payment from the city, they decided to just go and take care of business yeah. and take their one opportunity to be heroes. And then the cartoons, you know, also did that. So, you know, though they're not that way typically throughout, you know, they're they're using basic hero language, you know, without being terrified of what they're facing yeah. and everything. So that was another that was another part of it is is now they're heroes, right? And yeah, even though they're kind of downtrodden heroes, they're not respected anymore. They've done the hero thing and it's not like they're the everyman trying to race to it. Yeah. But I feel that's a natural progression. Yeah, and, and, and what they did good with this second one is that they you know, you've got a catalyst again. You know, you, your catalyst is Ivo. Ivo. Not, not Ivo, Vigo. Vigo. Yeah, there we go. Vigo. Vigo, Vigo is, the, uh, is the catalyst in this film. Right. What sets everything off, you know, because apparently you don't really see ghosts day to day. I mean, if you watch the cartoon, which is supposed to be in between the two, you know, yeah, you see a lot more ghosts and stuff, but it, it seems like that they need some sort of catalyst to set it off for them to get back to work. You yeah. know what I mean? And And... and I just still don't see how they make any money. <laughs> yeah. With all the destruction that they do, you would think that they would make a heck of a lot more money or well, 
probably like make no money and go bankrupt pretty soon because well, it's kind of like destroy things. It's kind of like firefighters, but if firefighters were private business, yeah, because firefighters to put out a fire, they're gonna mess some stuff up. Yeah. They're going to break some stuff. They're going to tear some stuff down, whatever it is. But they're going to get the job done, and mm-hmm. then they eventually get paid for it, and they go away. Yeah. And somebody else will you know, clean up and everything. Mm-hmm. But that's just what this, so that's what this is, but it's a private business mm-hmm. instead of being paid by the city mm-hmm. or whatever. But, um, you know, there are, there are standouts like Empire Strikes Back, like Aliens, like The Godfather Part Two, like The Dark Knight. You know, there are movies that that have sequels like that that are that are just yes, they're completely different from how the first one went. Mm-hmm. And they, they went a different way. They didn't use the same steps through the movie. And it ended up paying off. Um and I think that's that's possible, but I think it's so hard to hit that point. To be, have a sequel not retrace the steps of the first one and still be unique and actually be much better. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very hard thing to do. And it only works in, you know, certain times. You know, it only works with certain properties. Yeah. And sometimes it's unexplainable. Yeah. Why it happens. Generally, though, you can have a somewhat, you know, a relatively successful sequel, um, but it follows the same steps, but tells a slightly different story. And there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. If I'm watching Ghostbusters, I'd rather them... Uh, retread some of the same things that I enjoyed about the first one while telling a completely different story. I'd rather go through that than take the risk of a, of doing your narrative completely different and having a completely way of telling the story. And maybe it's good. Maybe it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, you have those other ones that stand out and it's great and everything. Um, But for something like Ghostbusters, where it's mainly a kid's movie, it's a family friendly movie you're not getting into Empire Strikes Back and Godfather Part Two and Dark Knight, yeah. you know, territory. You want a sequel that you know is going to be successful that, you know, in all honesty, kids are going to love. Um, and I think this hit all those parts. Did it retread some stuff? Yes. Did it actually retread some stuff that actually did better than the first yeah. movie? In my opinion, yes. Yeah. I think the the best ghost busting scene that we have in live action is the courtroom scene. And that's in part yeah. two. Yeah. I think out of all the ghost busting scenes, it's all very short and weird, except for that scene. That scene yeah. is long and drawn out. It's well choreographed, you know, it has good choreography, good music. It's action packed and everything. It's I think it's the best ghost busting scene, uh, however you want to say it or whatever, in all the movies. And it's, it's, it's that one, that part two. Um, I think the intro uh, to this one is just as good as the first one because it also introduces the main threat. And it's, the, it's a very popular scene in, in, in all the Ghostbuster films. Too. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah. But it's this very baby iconic. going out in yeah. traffic, you know, and it, and it automatically, I mean, the very first thing you see in this movie is the threat, the slime, Yeah, you know? So, um, yeah, does it does it retrace some stuff? Yes, but I think it also does a lot better of the storytelling of it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we, we can get into that. Um, I know, I, you know, there a lot of the problem was with Ghostbusters too is that it was the same story, um, and you know the bad guy wasn't as good. Is the bad guy good as Gozer? Probably not, but is it good for a second movie and what all this is set up for? Yeah, I think it is. 
like we said before, the first movie was about belief. This movie is about positive versus, uh, you know, negative yeah. vibes or energy mm -hmm. or, or feelings, you know, positive feelings versus negative feelings. Um, uh, and what, what, what does he say? Uh, inspiring. Yeah. Is that a more, what does he say about the uh, city? I think he's the one that says the famous scene about, you know, the negativity that it thrives on negativity. And you're just kind of like, great. We live in New York. Well, he goes, New York. What a town. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, almost implying that, you know, that there is quite a bit of po uh, positive in New York, but there's also negative. You know what I mean? I mean, in everywhere you go, but in a big city like that, there's always going to be a lot of negativity. You know what I mean? Because yeah. people are trying to commute, you know, and it is it is almost impossible to commute <clears throat> besides on feet on foot. But even then, it's hard, you know, in yeah. New York. We've been to New York, so we know this, you know, but it's. I like the way that they used the city because it's 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 a character, you know. It's a, definitely a character in this film, you know. Yeah. I, I truly believe. I mean, they make it a character in this film, you know. I mean, just the the vibes of the city is what makes this thing grow. There's some haunting imagery there too yeah. when she's going up the steps to the <clears throat> museum, and there's all that wind blowing and the trash blowing everywhere, and mm -hmm. it's like the subtle dun -dun. yeah. You know, just just the just the ambiance of her, you know, going by herself up that, and it's completely deserted, mm -hmm. and everything. It's just it's it's very you know dark and haunting imagery. Mm -hmm. I I think, but um, you know, in our tradition of talking about movie music, I really like the theme that plays when uh, Peter and Dana are together. Mm -hmm. You know, they have their sweet yeah. little theme. Um, I, I think it's nice to see their banter and how she's both annoyed and charmed at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we get we get a different a different dynamic between Peter and Dana in this one because in the first one, she wanted nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. She just wanted this ghost thing to be solved and then for them to get out of her life, and more so Peter to get out of her life. Yeah. You know, in this one, she's she's ready. She wants to be in a relationship with Peter. Mm -hmm. So you get to see a different side of Peter because he's always talking about how terrible he is. And she's like, you're not that bad. Mm -hmm. She's like, you know, you're far too hard on yourself and everything and talks about how good of a person he is. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we, we can get into the story now, but, um, you know, I just want to go over a few of those things is that, um, you know, like we were saying, you know, we, we know New York movies, um, from movies but really from I'd say Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles yeah, yeah. those are the two main things mm -hmm. you know how we saw in New York back oh, in the yeah. day and everything but um, so we start out with Ghostbusters 2 is there anything you want to talk about in the background real quick before we move on like the the wrestler uh, Wilhelm von Humburg yeah he was kind of ticked off because uh, they, they use used his, his face but they would not use his voice yeah and of course you know who they use for the voice right uh, it was uh, the brother or something like that Max or? von Sydow That's right. obviously a huge actor nowadays back then probably a little less known but definitely known nowadays uh, Max von Sydow who we talked about in our um, Shutter Island episode that you love so much oh um, yes 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 but anyways yeah so he had the voice uh but this uh wilhelm von humberg um also known as uh, norbert group uh group. he was a, a german I'm group <laughs> i'm group 
or uh, uh, Gruber because <laughs> he's German. Get it? Like Gruber. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, so anyways, he uh, he started his Chrysler's uh, uh, career as a wrestler, um, and then um, you know he he went from wrestling to boxing and everything. But mm-hmm. they needed some kind of a tough guy. He's a weird looking. Uh, guy in the painting with the medieval and stuff but he rocked it yeah and have you ever seen that one um what is it called um they do a review on movies but they make fun of uh how he sounds like a uh a heavy metal lyricist yeah where he's like um something on a throne of blood yeah <laughs> and then but it shows that, that as he's doing that speech yeah. they put like this heavy metal in the background on a mountain of skulls in the castle of pain i sat on a throne of blood yeah bill Mur- bill murray had an issue with this film because he he said that the basically that the special effects there was too much of it in the film and so you know, he he was talking to uh, I believe it was Entertainment Weekly that you know he was he was pretty upset about it that they uh, the special effects guys took over. But here's the thing: the special effects in this movie a lot look a lot better than they did in the first movie, in my opinion. I could see what he's talking about, like especially that end scene where the bubble around the museum. I thought that was a bit. It it, it was just there was a few animatronic puppets that were ghosts, like the one yeah. that comes through that archway and everything mm-hmm. that looked a little janky or whatever. But I mean, for the most part, the effects were way better than they were in the first movie. Yeah. Um, and, well, I like what they did with the painting, especially. In, yeah, like in, how his head would come out or yeah. when it was behind her and it kind of like smiled and then yeah. she turned around and it stopped smiling. And that, that, and that painting's still hanging up in, I think, like a producer's office or something or, well, or a production company. They had the actor actually stand in front of the painting so it looked like he, so, you know, whenever he, those parts where he came alive, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. he would actually wink. But you remember the one part where Peter McNichol sees him for the first time and it's just a head and you see the river yeah. of slime below? Mm-hmm. He was originally supposed to come alive in the painting and kind of step out for a second. Yeah. But they couldn't get it to look right, so they just had a head up there. Right. Which I wish they would have had the painting come alive, but I'm glad they kind of saved that till the end. Do you know that after this new one that comes out, right, that after that film, that is Dan Aykroyd's fifth portrayal of uh, Ray. Oh, are we counting Casper? Yes. That's <laughs> I was so wa- crazy that, was that, wa- that he just made an appearance in that yeah, film. I watched yeah. that with Henry a couple of weeks ago, and he goes, why is he the only Ghostbusters? I'm like, Henry, it doesn't count. <laughs> I'm like, it's just a joke for the movie. The Ghostbusters aren't really doing that. Uh, yeah. But um, this this painting used to freak me out when I was a oh, kid. Oh, me too, dude. Me I mean, too. the way it would look and, and the way it would smile and come alive and the forehead would come out and yeah. the control it had over Janish, mm-hmm. um, it, it freaked me out. It freaked me out more than anything Gozer did in the he, first movie. Janish, he definitely plays that character, that actor. He plays those characters very well because, oh like I said, in the film... Um, he was uh, supposed to be just a regular guy. Liam Nielsen's uh, the Dracula one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not Liam Neeson. Um, something else Neeson. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, it, but but he kind of played the same character he's playing in that one and this one, I think. Real s- s- Yeah, slimy, a little bit. Yeah, and he was supposed snivelly. to be just like this normal person, but Peter McNichol got him to... Like hey, this, this, this painting's foreign. I can be foreign too, you know yeah. that type of yeah. thing. So, yeah, okay. so um, it opens up, and um, 
you know, there's some slime coming out of the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this is that the opening is just as good as the original and probably even better in my opinion as you know it really sets the tone while showing us a familiar character sets the sets the tone of what we're getting into slime is a huge part of this mm-hmm. and it's a huge part of it because of the cartoon ectoplasm that's right in the first one the slime was clear remember when it got all over yeah. Venkman when slime mm-hmm. slime but in this movie it's pink purplish Whatever, because that's what color it was in the TV in the cartoon. It didn't the same character show up in the Power Rangers movie. Which one? Oh, but Ivan Ooze. Yeah. <laughs> the Wait, his name was Ivan. Some people said, you "Yeah, know, what is know. it? Ghostbusters Two: uh, The Secret of the Ooze." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, the uh, but so the opening is is about the throw the opening of the original. It's about the throwaway scare, right? It's just a library scare. We don't ever see that ghost ever again. Yeah. But it's the, the throwaway scare for the shock of, quote unquote, ghosts are real. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now that this, now that's what that opening was. It's to set in this universe, ghosts are real. Here they are. This is what they look like. So it was that original shock. And part two, uh, in this the universe, the audience, we already know that they're real. So there's no point in getting a shock. So mm-hmm. how do we open the movie with the same type of tension with a ghost attack or whatever? How we're, you know, how Ghostbusters movie should open up mm-hmm. um and uh the you know the best way to do that is we we introduce we get introduced right away to the central uh danger which is the slime and uh the uh uh you know or, or the 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 person who's in danger oscar yeah the baby and the evidence of the threat mm-hmm. which is the vigo slime so i mean we're introduced to that immediately with understanding that um uh, that Dana still lives, lives by herself. You know, she's got this baby now. Single we don't mom. really know what happened, yeah. but we know that she's got a baby, but she's living by herself. That this baby is now being targeted uh, with that slime stuff. We got to figure out what's going on. I think it's a great way to to open it up. Yeah. In yeah. my opinion, like how else would we have opened this up, you know? Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, you know, you, you could have opened it up with some random person in a library and have her walking downstairs and then find a ghost you know like they did in the first one but you know they kind of wanted to do it more on a kind of happy 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 and then all of a sudden bam now we got a looming doom well and it's like okay well we know that they're ghosts so we don't need to have a shock of oh it's a ghost Mm -hmm. let's have it mean something yeah let's have it be towards the story it could have just been like, well, we as an audience still don't know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. We just know that the the stroller ran over some slime and then suddenly it got taken away. Yeah. Okay, something's going on with that slime. Mm-hmm. Something's able to physically control and something's after that baby. Yeah. You know? So uh, I, I really enjoyed that opening. But mm-hmm. um, now we're, we're five years, you know, it opens up, boom, five years later. That's the first thing you see. And then the slime and then the chasing and stuff. Uh, but, you know, you see Ray and Zetamore and they're they're headed to a birthday party and, you know, they entertain some kids. And you got a young Jason Reitman mm-hmm. uh, who directed uh, the new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out. Um, and uh, in this one, he tells the Ghostbusters how his dad says that they're full of crap yep. and uh, that they really didn't do anything. So something happened. Uh, the Ghostbusters were sued for the property damage that happened. Uh, on that high rise mm-hmm. in Dana's apartment, and I'm guessing for whatever damage the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man caused, because it stepped on a lot of cars and churches. Yet not their fault, right? I mean, but obviously, if people have forgotten that this actually really happened, 
because the way it's explained is that it's been it's being done with like light shows and and special effects and mm-hmm. stuff that that didn't didn't really do anything. Yeah. Even though people saw this giant marshmallow man, but I suppose if you saw it on TV, you don't know if it's real. David Copperfield make the made the Statue of Liberty uh, <laughs> disappear mm-hmm. just by slowly rotating the stage, mm-hmm. so people. Instead of going, oh, wait, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, oh, it's gone. It's behind me. So, you know, yeah, I guess you can believe anything's been manipulated. Manipulated, But what I think what happened was that huge release of Ghosts by Gozer, mm-hmm. it initiated that slime. Yeah. that the, the river of slime under there because there was so much activity that it, it you know, that, that uh, what do you call it, the ectoplasm stuff had yeah. to accumulate somewhere. Yeah. And it's accumulated. Obviously, New York's a very negative place, or whatever you know, historically with attitudes. The way it's a tough place and everything. Mm-hmm. So it started building, and that's what started to wake up the Vigo character again. Yeah. And it was kind of, then it was kind of self feeding after that because um, the more and more negativity fed the slime mm-hmm. and fed it and fed it, and then you know that would cause more negative emotion. So it became this ball, and I believe that's what made people forget about what they experienced in part one because remember we said part one was about belief yeah and part two is about negative versus positive Mm -hmm. uh emotions and attitude and everything negativity versus positivity um and so i think the negativity started with you know the 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 belief you know it brought all those ghosts back remember we talked about how the more that people would believe in the ghosts, the mm-hmm. more that they would be able to be a, a scene and appear. Yeah. Because that's what that movie was about. And the more that the Ghostbusters worked, the more that we had more ghosts coming out. Mm-hmm. So I believe that in in that big, massive release at the end from the, the Ghostbusters station when the, the grid was turned off that woke up Gozer, that started all that stuff, it started that accumulation of the negative slime. And that made the entire city be negative towards the ghostbusters yeah because it, it, the we find out that the slime will it, it expands you know what i mean like you could have a little bit it of grows, it, it and it grows yeah so so i mean all the negativity it makes it get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more so i mean it, they don't really come out and say hey all this extra slime and ectoplasm under the the streets that's from the first ghostbusters movie they don't actually state that but it's kind of implied and it's self-feeding right yeah. because they said that the slime it's so negatively charged because of all the negative emotion in the city. But when they get it on them, it causes them to be negative. Yeah. So the slime causes that's running all underneath the city is causing everybody to be more negative. And their negativity is causing the slime to grow even more. So it's kind of self, you know, self-propelling, you know, self-filling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I believe that's why everybody has such a negative view towards the Ghostbusters is because of that slime, because of the ghosts and everything. Um, obviously, the Ghostbusters are the symbol of positivity against ghosts mm-hmm. and the evil and everything. So what better way to have them viewed as bad um, and, and as as charlatans and stuff through that negative slime, causing people to feel negative towards the Ghostbusters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, Ray is now has an occult bookstore um, and uh, you know does the side birthday parties with Winston. Mm-hmm. Uh, Egon went back to the um, university and is doing you know lab experiences uh, experiments there and everything. Um, and of course, uh, Vankman is all about the popularity and everything. So he's got his own talk show about psychics and supernatural stuff. 
Yeah, it seems like Egon's more still in the fray of everything in a way because where he he's still studying, you know, this stuff. Yeah. And he's the one that finds all the evidence of stuff, you know, going over to to uh, Sigourney Weaver's character's house and everything else like that, you know, and but he's still in it, you know, where where Ray and Vankman, you know, they're kind of, you know. And Ernie Hudson, no telling what he's doing. Like, does it even show what yeah. he's doing? It's almost like Egon's like the. Uh, it's almost like he's like the agnostic scientist, not believing in anything except for what he can read on a, a meter, right? Yeah. So that's how that's how Egon believes. Mm-hmm. He believes through technology and through readings, and and evidence through graphs and charts and and like their machinery that they mm-hmm. get stuff off of. Um, whereas. Ray is more like the faith person, you know, where yeah. he he believes in like the mythology of it all. Like he mm-hmm. he knows all about the ancient history of of uh, spookiness and ghosts yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he he believes in stuff. He doesn't need the scientific results. He he can you know see a a, a can moving on the table or something. Yeah, and think okay, well that's probably a spirit or whatever. Whereas Egon would be like, I need a meter to see mm-hmm. if that's true. So I mean that's that's the difference between those two I think, um, and uh, like I said, Zenimore I don't know what he's doing besides the birthday parties. Mm. It doesn't really say. Maybe he's At working all. on a business. Yeah, you getting, know, or something. His degree going, going to night school or doing whatever it is. Uh, I see him as like a like a firefighter too. Like he was probably like a firefighter, and then they got laid off or something, and so he yeah. had to go take a job with the Ghostbusters. Yeah, but he just seems kind of like a you know hardworking firefighter or something. But hardworking man. So Dana goes and visits Egon, um, and you find out that her and Peter dated for a little bit, um, and then she uh, he he she wanted to get married, and he didn't. Uh, Peter didn't want to. So um, she separated from him, got with some of the guy who you think is the guy from the original at, at the fountain. Mm-hmm. I think it could be that guy. It could be somebody else. It seemed like he was interested at first, but I don't know why he'd stick around while her and Peter were dating for a while and then she'd go back to him. I don't know. But um, either way, she... Uh, she uh, yeah, I got to this. Either way, she uh, separates from Peter. She gets married. She has a baby. And then the guy goes off and goes to Europe to be in a you know orchestra or something. Yeah. Never to be seen or heard of again. Basically, nope. they just needed they needed the baby. They needed to be Dana's. Yeah. They needed to not be Peter's and a mm-hmm. way to get them two back together. So yeah. like, ah, she got a marriage real quick and then got a divorce. So that guy doesn't matter. Seemed a little rush on me. I, that that that, uh, that kind of seemed like a a rushed plot. It was weird in that, but that I guess they needed the baby, and they yeah. needed da- no. I mean, I, for Dana to do, yeah, and they I didn't recognize. Want her to, you know yeah. what? Oh, I recognized why they yeah. did, it, but it just kind of seemed like it was kind of a cheap shot in a way, where yeah. it was like you know they couldn't have thought of something. You know, I mean, I don't know. They were thinking, okay, well, we got to bring Sigourney back, but she's got to be, um, uh, she's got to be relevant to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't have her get possessed again because we already did that yeah. once. So let's maybe try to see if she has a baby that's going to be trying to get possessed mm-hmm. now. That was the one ugly baby when he took over that baby's face. Yeah, the, and of course that was those were played by twins as often happens. Mm-hmm. We have babies and young kids, so you know you have the twins yep. or whatever. But um, so Lindsay she, Lohan and her twin on Parent Trap, you know. <laughs> the two Lindsay Lohans. <laughs> um, I used to think. There was a what was the one with Jean Claude Van Damme, uh, where there was two of him. Time Cop. 
Was it time? No, no I, I don't think it was up. time cop. It was double trouble. <laughs> 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 I think that was Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen or something. It was. But this it one was. was like double impact or was it double, double impact? impact? Yeah, something like that. But yeah, it, and it, it had two Jean Claude Van Dams on the title. This was when I was a kid, and at the top of one it said Jean Claude, and at the other side it said Van Dam. And I was like, oh, so one of these is named Jean Claude, and the other one is Jean Claude Van Dam. And so I thought that they were like brothers or something. And then I'm like, well, I'm an idiot. It's the same person. <laughs> but I was like, I was like six when that happened yeah. or something. But um, so anyway, she goes and asks Vangman for her, not Vangman, Spangler for help. And he's like, well, I'd like to bring Ray in. She's like, that's fine. Just not Vangman. Yeah. And so, but you could tell she still has feelings for him. And this is mm-hmm. another aspect of, of this movie that I like about um, is, is the, the, the thing between um, uh, Dana and Peter. Um, you know, we actually get to hear good being spoke of about Peter thanks to their, you know, developed relationship. So this time when she's talking to Peter, you know, and the last one, she was just like, will you get out of my apartment? She's like, you are just, uh, she's like, I've never met anybody like you. And he's like, yeah, they're usually nerds. And she's like, you're more like a game show host, you know, like she didn't want anything to do with them until the end. She was a little charmed by him and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, this one you're actually getting to hear some good stuff about him. She's like, you know, you're you're better than you think you are. Yeah. You know, and um, you find out they had a relationship and he never did anything bad. It's just mm-hmm. that he never committed. Yeah. You know, so he never asked her. And she's like, that's the only reason I left is because you never asked me to marry you. Yeah. You know, so she wants to be with him. So it's a different dynamic, whereas before it was her chasing him. Now it's them kind of coming together mutually and you're getting to see a different side of Venkman, see somebody that's been in a relationship with him and somebody that's like as upstanding and could be as snobbish as her. And she actually is like, you know, you're actually a good person, but you know, yeah. you, you worry too much about <laughs> Commit this like, crap. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see their banter and how, you know, she's both annoyed and, and charmed at the same time. So, um, uh, da, 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 da. so anyway, she, she says, you know, not, not Vankman, don't tell him, but Vankman comes in, uh, to the bookstore and is like, Hey, let's go hang out. And they're like, Oh, we got stuff to do. Uh, but he may, he makes them, but this is one of the funniest parts of, of Vankman, you know, Bill Murray is Vankman. Is him trying to give Grabbing Egon? The cra- well, oh. before that, but when he's trying to give Egon crap, he's like, "Well, hi, Egon. How's school?" But those science chicks really dig that large cranium of yours, huh? I think they're more interested in my epididymis. And you see Bill Murray kind of stare at him like, <laughs> "Ray, let's close this place up so you can buy me a calzone." <laughs> and like, it's the first time you see Bill Murray or Venkman, you know, either one of them like kind of flabbergasted like at a loss of what to say no comeback mm-hmm. or anything and uh and it was egon who did that which i think is hilarious mm-hmm. he forces ray to tell him who what they're doing and you know he finds out that they're they're working for dana uh they go over and they have a little a little uh you know funny funny back and forth with the two of them and they reconnect they look around oscar's room and all this kind of stuff um and I like when he comes in, comes in, and he's like, "Sorry," and she's like, "No, it's fine." She goes, uh, "Hello, Peter," and he goes, turns around, he's like, "Hello, Dana." <laughs> Hi, Dana. Hi, Ray. How good to see you. Thanks for coming. Hey, no problem. Always glad to help and hug. Hello, Dana. Hi, Egon. Nice place. Um, well, I know I'm just asking for the big hurt, but I thought I'd give us one more chance. He he tortured me. He pulled my ears. Hello, Peter. 
Dana. Oh man, just the way he says it, he's yeah. like, "Hello, Dana." <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, anyways, they go outside and they find the spot where the uh, the crib stops at, and uh, that's when they're like, "Oh!" And they get some good readings and everything. So they decide to dig, and as they dig down, um, they find the river of slime. Um, <laughs> I don't. They weren't digging. They just went down a manhole. Well, they had to cut through the cement mm-hmm. to get to the already uh, the, the 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 pre-built hole that's there. Uh, but they lower Ray down in there, and uh, he sees the slime and everything, and you know puts the the power out everywhere. Yeah. To which Lewis later on says, you know, he was trapped in an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Lewis. <laughs> and uh, so, anyways, they uh, they get arrested. And um, again, again, and it's not going to be the first time this movie. They'll be arrested again later on in the movie. Um, but um, this time they're arrested and they're taken to court for because it shuts down like the power of the whole city. Yeah. That one wire that he hit. I don't know if that's how electricity works. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so they go to court and uh, we get a scene where uh, it's, it's a hugely popular scene. One of the most famous scene in all Ghostbusters is this scene where Lewis Tully for some reason is a lawyer now he got his law degree at going to he was an accountant in the first he one. was an accountant in the first one and then in this one he's a lawyer and he said he got his degree at night school or something so he's like oh that's good because yeah, we got arrested that's at night so smart to use him as their lawyer you know I like, mean, really, like, like honestly there's not one lawyer in that city that would be like this would be give me get me some good press coverage yeah. You know, I could take on this case. Although, that being said, everybody Banging pretty much walked him through his job. But I mean, like everybody hates the Ghostbusters so much right now that probably no defense attorney would want to even yeah. touch that because they're like, yeah, we're going to lose this case no matter what. That and judge, they would have lost it if it hadn't been for the ghost. Well, but. and that judge hated them. They, he really did. I, I, that's one of those it things that show why that he has so much hatred for him, you know. But then that's one of those things that stands out to me so much is how just pissed off that judge how good that judge was at showing how much he hated him. and it was like it was like okay they did save the world in the first film you know you could probably cut him just a little bit of slack yeah, right? i remember people forgot yeah people I just didn't care and, and of course that was played by harris ulin a, a amazing uh, veteran actor who's in scarface training day yeah, clear no, and present danger awesome. you know great actor but i just think it's so funny that it's just a kind of a curse with these movies right for the characters inside the movie that that you always it, need some just, yuppie that hates the Ghostbusters for no reason. Well, no, that that's a lot of movies. But I'm saying like the fact that they just forgot, like the city mm. just keeps forgetting. But that's what I was making the point that they do about the slime is that um, that all that negative energy. You know, the Ghostbusters is such a good positive force for the city yeah. and everything. That that slime that you know started at the end of the first movie and was building up over five years. Mm-hmm. It just turned everybody against the Ghostbusters. That's yeah. what I, in my head canon. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what we do on this show is we explain yeah. what we believe is our head canon yeah. of what goes on in the world of these stories, and that's what I believe happened. And the, I believe that the reason that they forgot and that they disbelieve is because, you know, of all yeah. this the negative the negative energy. And what's crazy is that judge that next day will forget what they did and probably hate him again. Maybe, you know? but maybe it's it's now this now that it's happening. It hasn't been five years since they've done anything. Yeah. Now because now things are starting to be more prevalent. Remember, you know, now we have got another montage after this. But this scene was great because 
Um, it also, uh, you know, advanced the plot of what is going on with the slime. Yeah, the slime is reacting to that judge yelling, okay, well, there's something to be explained there. We need to figure out what's going on there. It introduces Lewis back into the movie in a completely ridiculous and unneeded way, but whatever. Hey, I'm just glad Rick Moranis came back. Yeah, you know what? That's all I'm, I mean, you know, you sit here and put him in front of Bill Murray and he, yeah. act, you know, he he's going to be the Th- one Those two on. were the great acting in this movie. Those two together. Yeah. In the courtroom, you didn't like the wrestler. Incident. You didn't like the German wrestler. No, um, it just the between the back and forth between Tully and him were just hilarious, and the fact that like you know, uh, Vankman, you know, Bill Murray's uh, character, the entire is, is is whispering to him on the stand. Yeah, and not many people can outshine Bill Murray mm-hmm. in a comedy mm-hmm. scene. Rick Moranis. Hands down, well, if he's in the scene, that's who I'm looking at above Bill Murray. And you know who else can do it? Not all the time, but Dan Aykroyd can do it too. Something, when he's doing his fast talking, yeah, yeah. you know, shtick and everything. But yeah, with the confidence, because that's what's great with Dan Aykroyd, right? Besides being a a uh, genius when it comes to writing, he sounds like character a car, development, car advertisement. Yes, salesman. but he's so smart that he takes over the scene. You know where where it's like. You know, you feel like that that's who Dan Aykroyd is in real life. And I think I mentioned this last episode. He's but probably quarterback in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, that's who he is in real life. He's not that that quiet, just kind of doesn't know what to say kind of guy, you know, yeah. that he's been in a lot of films. He It always seems like characters he plays always knows what to say at the right time, you know, in the right place to make it fit into that scene, you know. And, and it's no different with him. But, yes, Bill Murray, when it comes down to it, he's a lot more natural you know, I think with his comedy than Dan Aykroyd yeah. is, but Dan Aykroyd can steal the scene just as much as uh, Bill Murray. But he, I feel like he chooses not to. Yeah, I th- and I also feel like uh, Dan Aykroyd as a writer is one that'll stick to the scripts a lot. Yeah, and he can spit it out a million million miles a minute. Uh, whereas, it has to be scripted. Yeah, and but Bill Murray can just kind of come up with stuff on the fly. Yeah, yeah. and it's, I, I it, mean that whole that whole golfing the flowers thing in Caddyshack yeah. that mm-hmm. was all on the fly. Him, uh, everything that he was mumbling, everything he was saying when he was lining up and hitting all the flowers and everything. Yeah. That was all there. They basically just turned the cameras on and let him go. And I I feel like, you know, again, I I said this before, but, you know, Bill Murray is like Rob Williams in that way where it's like, why even give the guy a script? Just tell him what's going on. At least give him the script to see what's going on. But, you know, why give him a script? Because I feel like, you know, what he comes out with naturally is going to be much funnier than any writer can write for him. Yeah, and it's almost like comedy. whenever you give him, it's like, okay, here's the scene we're doing next, Bill. Uh, here's what's written down. Say something like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, and, and I as feel close like, as you can get. Yeah, and I feel like he's like that in every movie. You know, Bill Murray is like that. You know, but but again, it takes a lot, a, a big, big comedic genius, I think, in a way to ever outshine him. And you know, obviously, Rick Moranis is that. Rick Moranis is that powerhouse. And, yeah. Weird to say about yeah somebody like him. And, and a lot, and like we've talked about before, you know, he he just not a lot of people know what he was capable of when he was acting and doing his comedy. I mean, not a lot of people realize, you know, as much of a genius as he is. But then you got Dan Aykroyd, who's a genius. Then you got Harold Ramis, who's a genius. And then you got Bill Murray, who's a genius. Yeah. You know, in these films. And they're all comedic geniuses in their own right, you know. And and to be able to be the director of that, do you know how probably difficult that was for Ivan I'm sure, Reitman? I'm sure it was. To, to, to keep that reined in. Yeah, it's times. more about, like, letting letting your players who, who can do that, mm-hmm. letting them go and do that. Mm-hmm. 
and focusing more on the ones like like Ernie Hudson. He is a trained actor. He is not a comedian. No, he's he's not. not a comedic yeah. actor. He 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 even said there. He, what what was the what was the? He, well, it's supposed he, to be Eddie Murphy, obviously. Yeah, but he said something. It was like the equivalent of what was it? Kind of like um, somebody else was opening something, and he was just kind of. He, he he put it in a really good way the way that you know he approached his role watching all these comedy legends around him just go off i'm gonna tell you what it reminded me of it's basically like that that kid right the older older of the kids that is got like one more year at the kids table you know so he shows up to the a film like this and he knows that he's a you know he he's old enough to be able to sit at the adults table, but for this film he had to sit at the kids table with the rest of the three. Yeah, it was close to that. It was something like you know uh, he got in there and uh, everybody else was oh that's what he said. He's like it's like going to a dinner party, and like everybody else is just you know kind of um, settling in and making themselves at home, whereas you're kind of the guest. And so you're just kind of standing, you're, you're waiting your turn to serve your own food and everything yeah, yeah. while everybody else is kind of doing their thing. That's what he said it felt like. And, and that makes sense, you know, him being the type of actor he was mm-hmm. um, and watching all that. But but he can still pull out that, that funny seriousness. You know, Ernie Hudson, he, he did really well with the last two films, you know. And, and you know, you saw you a lot tools, more. You yeah. got the talent. And you saw him a lot more in this film. You know, than you did in the last one. And, yeah, because and, and, he didn't come in halfway through right, the movie. <laughs> right, but he was he was able to interject some sort of um, the the grown up uh, dialogue. You yeah. know, he he was able to 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 insert a lot of the grown up dialogue with these with these actors. You know, and and so he he said stuff that was really like deadpan funny. You know, but it, it but it went along with their type of comedy. You know, in a weird way. Yeah. So here's my question for the audience. Um, obviously, we'll do our big long spiel at the end of how you can get a hold of us. But we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast. So for Twitter, we're at the Post Credit. Uh, you guys reach out to us. Let us know. I want to know what Winston Zeddemore did when he wasn't ghostbusting. We know that Venkman is a psychologist. We know that Ray is a scientist. We know that. Egon is a scientist and Ray has his bookstore when he's not ghostbusting and Egon has his university experiments when he's not ghostbusting and Venkman has his game his his talk show. What does Winston Zeddemore do when he's not ghostbusting? Well, let did, us know that uh, get get a hold of us and let us know. He did say something about it in the first one that he had done this job and that job and then you know he kind of fell into this one well he just said he's like look if you know if you guys are hiring you guys will pay i'll believe whatever you tell me you want me to believe you know whenever they ask him all those things so i want to know what everybody thinks i I always saw him as more of like a like you know maybe like a volunteer fire not a volunteer but you know a part-time firefighter or something like that i guess so that's why he came to this house because it was kind of the same type of thing I kind of feel like he was more like a taxi driver, you know, because he still had, he had love for the vehicle, you know, the car, things like that. He you was know? the driver. And, well, yeah. I mean, Ray would drive a lot of the time, but I mean, yeah. when Ray wasn't driving, usually it was Winston. But driving. I just kind of feel like maybe maybe he he could have been like a taxi driver in New York maybe. or something, you know. Yeah, let us know what you guys think. If uh, let us know if we made a mistake and and he it is stated what he does when he's not ghostbusting, but. 
what do you guys think that he's he's doing? Um, yeah, in that scene, the best part is obviously uh, Venkman leading the witness. Even though Venkman was yeah. the witness, he's leading the lawyer, and you mm-hmm. know, just the mumbling. He's like, "Oh, it's just a one-time event. It's not going to happen again." Yeah. And you know, Rick Moranis just keeping up with that mumbling yeah. and stuff, and and him being able, to, what, what, what? Yeah. And then it was a one-time incident, and, and what? And it'll never happen again. <laughs> Yeah, it was just yeah. amazing, and it was and great. and whenever the ghosts would come out, and he's like, uh, "And that's me, and my clients are under a judicial mismanagement order." <laughs> he didn't even say it right. He doesn't even know what it's called. My guys are still under a judicial mistrangement order. That blue thing I got from her, they could be exposing themselves, and you don't want us exposing ourselves. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they even knew the Ghostbusters even knew they were like. We're going to lose this case. We already know we're going to lose. Oh, they would have lost. Yeah. Hands yeah, down. Yeah. But they already knew they were going to lose. And then some ghosts decide to show up. And only because of the Scolari brothers. The Scolari brothers were really cool. Um, I want to say that they were based off of some people that they knew as well, but I can't remember totally. But that was, that was another practical effect, you know. It was practical people in, in costumes. And then they, you know, you know, put a little bit of special effects around it. So I mean, that's when, that's when CGI works best is when you have practical, but you're just using the CGI to touch up some stuff here and there. Um, uh, after all that happens, you know, uh, Ghostbusters are back. They save the day. You know, they 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 beat the Scolari brothers. I still think that's the best Ghostbusting scene. Um, you know, there's the buildup. You know, something's about to happen. You don't know what, but that that slime is bubbling up, and then they mm-hmm. pop out. Everybody runs away, and you're like, "Oh, okay, this is how they're going to get out of it." Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so they eventually, you know, save the day. You got Venkman and Ray with their their packs on, um, and Egon, um, you know, setting the trap and everything. So uh, they do good, and then it, it switches back to the um, the uh, museum. Where we get introduced to Peter McNichol. I love Peter McNichol. He's mm-hmm. been in many shows. He's been in 24. Yeah. He's been in Numbers. Um, Numbers. He's been in Dracula Dead and Loving It, yeah. which is one of my favorite roles of his. Um, He's just such a uh, prolific and um, got such a wide range. Mm-hmm. He could play the most ridiculous comic character Uh like in this movie or in, in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Or he could play the most serious, like when he is the, the aide or the advisor in 24 or mm-hmm. whenever he's the uh, the professor in Numbers. He's just got such a wide range. And in this one, I love every single thing that he does. Mm-hmm. I love his back and forth with Venkman and uh, how Venkman's like, oh, you just need a cat. He's going to paint a cat in there and everything. <laughs> And what is nope. yeah? What is what is what is Giannis says? He's like uh, I don't know. Just just some of the things that he says are hilarious. The way that he he uh, pronounces some things, and yeah. you know, I always thought you know when that city pervy dude in this in this film, yeah. Maybe. And you know when the city went into blackout and he had those glowing eyes, that freaked me out a little bit when yeah. I was a kid. You yeah, know? Um, different things like that. But uh, um, so, anyways, we uh, we get to the point where the. Uh, the Ghostbusters are are exploring the slime that they collected, and they they found out that it um, it's negative. It, it reacts to negative and positive emotions. Mm-hmm. So when that guy was yelling, uh, it doesn't mean that that's negative slime. It just reacts to whatever the mood or the feeling is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the yelling made made it a negative thing, and that's what made the ghost pop out. Right. 
because they built up. So that's why I'm saying these these ghosts come from the negativity, whereas Ghostbusters are the positivity. Yeah. Um, so they they show how the uh, toaster dances, um, which you need to show it being able to control some kind of inanimate object. As, and for some reason, as foreshadowing. You know the the song that it reacts to too. It was like. It's not a very negative song. It's a pretty uplifting, positive song. And so it's also stating that I guess it reacts to po- over positivity as well. Well, they said, remember, they said they tried out different tracks, and which is good, but they really liked. Um, who was it that did higher and higher and higher? Enough. Yeah, they, they, it really liked the higher and higher song, which was done. Which, yeah, which the version at the end when they were in the Statue of Liberty it was covered by somebody else. I can't remember who it was, but. Um, wasn't Ray Parker? <laughs> yeah, Ray Parker Jr. Now, yeah. now he had his shot. He did a good job. Great music in this. Um, but Peter McNichol is fantastic. His conversations with uh, with Vigo whenever Vigo comes back and he's like, you know, I await Vigo, and he's like, I Vigo of the Scourge of Carpathia, and he's like, Scourge, yes, I've already heard this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just like how he's kind of throwing. Yeah, I've heard this. He's like, I command you, and he's like, command me, Lord. <laughs> um, so we get a, a scene where she's trying to give Oscar a bath. The bath comes out. The ooze comes out of there, and it tries to eat the baby. Apparently. Yeah. It's just the slime that's trying to get the baby. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the... Obviously, the slime is being sent by this Vigo because Vigo wants to possess this baby. Mm-hmm. But it makes me wonder what the plan was there. Were they going to pull the baby down the drain and take it to the museum or something? I don't know. I was just trying to scare him to go out the window yeah. or something. Because, like, obviously, the first part, whenever the slime got on the carriage, then the slime was bringing the carriage to the museum, but then mm-hmm. eventually got stopped by yeah. all the traffic and everything. But... So, anyways, um, she goes. She who who does she go to though when she gets in trouble? She doesn't. Bankman. That's right. She doesn't go to uh, Spangler. She doesn't go to Ray. Uh, she goes to Bankman because she feels safe with him. Yeah. Okay. Um, and everything. So, uh, anyways, it gets to the point where um, they uh, they they need to go investigate the slime. So they're gonna go investigate the slime. Janine and Lewis are babysitting Oscar. Venkman and uh, and Dana go out on a date. Great. Two people to just leave their kid, right? Yeah, a little Those weird. Makes a lot of sense. A little weird, and uh, those would be the last two people. Like she, Ray, Ray, or 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 Egon, maybe. And she was so annoyed when she got back. Oh, I know. Because she's like, and she, he was like, oh, I swear, and she goes, Yeah, I know what you were doing. Yeah. And uh, and then she, she's, she's like, Is Oscar okay? And she goes, Oh yeah, I gave him some French bread pizza passed right out <laughs> it's like who gives a baby french bread pizza and oh, even so daniel kind of looked at her like all right well i'm just gonna go check on him you know she's like oh, these two. and then they wouldn't leave afterwards yeah. and she just yeah. wanted him to go but um we get the scene where they uh you know they go through the uh the the tunnel and we're getting to see more winston stuff you know yeah. and they're like hello hello yeah and he's like hello Winston. <laughs> that used to freak me out, yeah, too. Yeah, that was... And uh, the heads on the spike. I mean, you got a lot more scary imagery in this yeah. one than in the first one. Yeah, and, and, and I liked that they were kind of getting a little bit more ghosts, you know? And that's kind of probably the only thing I don't like about the first two. Like, you don't really get a big taste of a lot of different ghosts, you know what I mean? You do in the first one because you just get flashes of just random, like, running ghost and, you know... Slime, more Slimer and stuff like that, you know. And then in 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 part two, I, I don't know. I I just would want to see more ghosts. I think in a way, you know what I mean. Like different different 
personalities of ghosts, I guess. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the the quip that I never really caught on to as when I was younger because you know it yeah. just went over my head or whatever. But mm-hmm. whenever she's like, "Well, I got to put him down," you know, talking about putting the baby down to sleep, yeah. and Vakeman goes, "May I?" and she goes, "Sure," thinking he's going to put him down to sleep, but he took it as putting down, meaning insulting him. Oh, so she's like, "I got to yeah. put him down." He goes, "Like, may I?" and she's like, "Sure," and he's like. You're, you stink. You're a terrible burden on your mother. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. So he like puts them down or right, whatever. Right, right. I thought that was pretty funny, but I, I didn't catch it. It went over my head yeah. when I was younger. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay, that's what that was all about. <laughs> so um, anyways, uh, they you know we get the awesome scene where they're going through the tunnels. They go in the, the, the slime and they get carried away. Yeah. And uh, they actually had to reshoot that, that scene with them coming out of the manhole in front of the museum a couple mm-hmm. times. And they said that, man, it was like in the middle of winter and that slime mm-hmm. that they're covered in. Because really it was just Zetamore and, and uh, Ray right. you know, having their little argument. And then, yeah. you know, Egon pops up or whatever. But um, And then, of course, you know, following what we did in the first movie, they go to see the mayor. Uh, the mayor, this though, this time doesn't believe him. Uh, you know, I guess the mayor's having the same problem as one, the rest of the city. That one guy... Uh, his assistant or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and because, you know, he's pretty much pushing in them. He's the same same character as the first one, you know? Yeah, and this then, is the EPA version yeah. or whatever, EPA yeah. guy of the first one. But uh, um, So anyways, they, uh, they, they're they not believed and they're committed to a mental institution where we actually get to see, uh, as usual in a lot of Bill Murray movies, Bill mm-hmm. Murray's brother, brother. Yeah. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray, for those that, uh, that know who he is, he plays, you know, the main Phil... Or the main guy that holds the uh, the, the doctor, um, the groundhog in Groundhog's Day, yeah. Um, and in yeah, in this movie he plays the doctor in the mental institution. But that's uh, Bill Murray's older brother in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and they're, they're they sound insane. You know, they're yeah. like you know, uh, they, it made his his friend's toaster dance, and uh, it, you know, it made the bathtub almost eat mm-hmm. his friend's baby, and all this and. And he looked at, you know, Venkman, and Venkman's like, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, Venkman's <laughs> yeah. smart. He knows that everything they're saying is like, look, guys, this is not making us look good right yeah. now. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, they, uh, they we get the scene of, explain this. Janish is a ghost that looks like a nanny with a little ghost stroller, comes and picks up Oscar and takes him back to the museum. How did he become a ghost? I don't know. Like, did, did, like, Vigo kill him and then bring him back to life? Or I guess maybe Vigo, since he was a sorcerer, he had powers to make him, like, the only way I a can ghost or something. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, I think that was just to a point, like, they're getting to the climax of the movie, the movie and they're like, well, how do we actually get the baby there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, just have Janusz. Instead of having Janusz come with those glowing eyes and take the baby, which mm-hmm. I think would be a lot more freaky. Yeah. They have him go out into this ledge for whatever reason. So. <laughs> just randomly yes, going out, yeah, on the go ledge. out into the ledge so this weird ghost thing that's never explained well, can he come He probably down. knows where she lives, but how did he know where he lives? You yeah, know, it's a little weird. So um, so anyways, they get they get taken. Uh, they get, uh, Oscar gets taken to the museum. Uh, Dana follows him there. And uh, and then we're, uh, we get the jello slime that's that covers the entire museum. And ghosts are running rampant everywhere. They pull the Ghostbusters out of the mental institution, and we get another epic scene of them being escorted to the scene of the crime of where they need to to really be 
getting some business, and they I, fail epically. Yeah, and I feel like that that blob surrounding the museum failed epically as well. I think it that was a yeah, it looked, looked that, terrible. They could have done anything differently with that. I mean, just I mean, even just not coloring it pink and covering the thing, like make it clear somehow or something. And notice how we never uh, the the big crowds of New York never actually get to see the Ghostbusters do anything at the first yeah. movie. They go in the building and then they see a bunch of like explosions happening at the top and the proton mm-hmm. packs going off, but they don't know what the hell it is. And then suddenly see this huge ass mosh- marshmallow man coming down the street, climbing up the building. Yeah, we should have mentioned that at the beginning of the very first uh, Ghostbusters episode that we did. We should have mentioned that right at the beginning because which part? The, the fact that the city never actually sees what they do and then. Well, they like, saw a giant-ass marshmallow man coming down well, the street. Yeah. But, yeah, they didn't see it. And then in this one, they go in the museum. For museum. all they know, their Ghostbusters are the one that created it, which and in a which way was, they kind of did. Which was what the EPA guy was saying in the first one. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, it's interesting. I, I would have liked to have everybody else see what they see, see the, yeah. the, the threats that they're going up, up to. But mm-hmm. then when you have worldwide confirmation that ghosts exist, yeah. you kind of have pandemonium everywhere. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess that's... That's what it is, but um, you know we uh, we we have them. They 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 can't break through the wall, so they get an idea. You know they get these mm-hmm. big tanks full of slime, positively charge it instead of negatively charge yeah. it, and uh, we have our big marshmallow man set piece. Instead, this time it's the Statue of Liberty. They go ahead and spray that down with some good slime. Play That's higher. My favorite and higher. part of the movie, by the way. Just got to say now, it that. doesn't make sense because. In this short period of time, I mean, we're talking about like they had like 30 minutes to do what they needed to do. And I mean, because, you know, yeah, they're like, it's almost midnight. It had to have been like five hours away from being midnight for them yeah. to get all the way to Liberty Island. Yeah. And they get that spray- thing sprayed down. Yeah. It didn't look like they took very long time spraying it. And down. it looks like the Statue of Liberty just steps right off. But if you've seen the Statue of Liberty, it's like a, like a, you know, a hundred mm-hmm. foot step down for that statue mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, really cool. They get to go across the, the harbor. A hundred of its foots, but a hundred of our our foots. Now, here's the thing. When they're walking across the water, yeah. that whole inside of the Statue of Liberty, and it's now filled with water, yeah. it's washing off all that slime. How is it still being powered? Yeah, that's very true. That's a Rachel moment. Uh, yep. And brought to you by uh, the Post Credit Podcast, <laughs> that is our Rachel moment. So, uh, anyways, they're walking down and they're playing the music and the whole city's celebrating. Obviously, this is one of those not quite Christmas movies, but end of the year. Yeah. It's a New Year's movie. Yeah. You know, you got the inspirational movies where the big, huge, epic thing takes place at the turn of the year yeah. and it's supposed to signify a new beginning and all that. So, then probably people forget about it after the movie's done. They don't remember that the Statue of Liberty walked. And, and how did they get it back? Well, and that's what I was wondering because I remember when I was a kid when it broke through that top window then they kind of they uh zip line down or not zip line but you know they uh they come down uh i always thought the statue of liberty was just standing there afterwards but then you see it just like laying on the ground yeah so i don't know i guess they got the music and the slime back up and they walked it back to liberty island because at the end they got their awards mm-hmm. and the statue of liberty was back so um anyways they get in there and they get uh they get yana sprayed down with with the goo <laughs> 
they they do a few things back and forth. He comes out of the painting. They have a fight with him. Nothing crazy or as cool as in the first movie. But yeah. like I said, you know, it's 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 challenging. You got a baby in the mix and everything, so mm-hmm. it's gonna be different. The one thing I hate about this this ending is the stupid painting at the end with all the Ghostbusters yeah. and the baby. That made no sense. It makes whatsoever. no sense. Like, like I, who created that painting? I know, and I get it. They're trying to be cute and funny, and they thought it was a funny way. It doesn't have to make sense. Well, but it did. It kind of so. takes it takes you out of it, yeah. and you're just like, well, I mean, what now? Would I hang that picture up in my game room at my house? Absolutely. But now, I mean, in the in, in, the t- in context the movie, of the movie. No yeah, like how did that? Why it, it's not even the same type of painting as mm-hmm. the medieval painting. Mm-hmm. It's more of like a Renaissance painting. Mm-hmm. So different times. I don't know. Or Baroque. Sorry, I had to take an art class in college. Oh yeah, so I about <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, it was it, the it Baroque was a, period. It was a bit ridiculous, you know. Anyways, um, but uh, they have to get people sprayed down. Now Ray got possessed again. Uh, or, or Ray got constantly. Ray happens. got possessed. He 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 lost his collective caca at the end, uh, again as usual, uh, and creates the villain's basically final boss form. Yeah, as he gets into uh, to Ray and stuff. That you was know, an ugly dude. Both of which are just as easy as the other to defeat. Still yeah. fun, um, but yeah, he got in there. Now, why do you think he got possessed? Because remember, he had that moment earlier in the movie where he just kind of got hypnotized by the painting. It's because he's more accepting, I think, to the supernatural. There you go. And and because you had said you that. see that in the first film too. You know, um, he's just very he's a lot more susceptible to easier it. easier for ghosts to break through. Yeah, because he's more accepting of it. You know, where where even Venkman, even if he's seeing it. He's got a slight doubt. Egon has got a slight doubt. Like it's just maybe a trick being playing on. Or you don't want him. it to be real. Whereas yeah. Ray like almost wants yeah. it to be real. Yeah, and um, and Winston is just kind of like, eh, whatever. As long as you're paying me money, yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, look, man, this is just a job. Yeah, and where where Ray is really into it, you know, re- yeah. re- into the. I remember you stuff. had said that because I'd asked you. I think we. I think I'd asked you like after I'd watched it. I was mm-hmm. like, "Why do you think he?" Could, but then you immediately was like, "Well, because he's the strongest believer." Yeah, I'm like, that makes completely total yeah. sense. And and plus, you know, I mean, and then the funny thing is, Vankman has to come in and, and kind of save him at the end, you know, type stuff. You know, he's that he's that born leader, you know, in that group. Well, you know? he he's quick on his feet because they're all trapped, and she's like, "Do something," and that's when he's like, "Okay, I'm going to talk crap about this guy," so yeah. his focus is on me instead mm-hmm. of the baby, and then he's able to catch it. Now, the one thing, how did you feel about the Ghostbusters not actually? being the one well I guess they were the ones to save him because I was going to say it's the people outside singing but they really just broke the the stranglehold of his power yeah how he was able to freeze them Mm -hmm. the the singing broke that but um, you know it was it was another one of these things where it was uh, they used the proton packs to shoot into the painting uh, but the positivity stuff to shoot at Ray and that that other ghost, which I thought made a lot more sense than just shooting into the portal and crossing the streams. Yeah, and how do they know that that's going to work every time? But you know, I don't, it's I like don't know. it's it's like you know you you get set up at the beginning of the of the first one, and you know in every every succeeding film afterwards, you know it's it's always like. 
don't cross the streams at the first one, and then now it's like they literally have to cross the stream. It's like their ultimate weapon. Now it's like you it know always I mean? works or whatever. Yeah, but. yeah. Like like, let's see. How do we solve this problem? Let's see. Let's do the one thing that we're not supposed to do with photon packs, and let's just cross the streams. See what happens. And then and proton, and not photon. Whatever. <laughs> you're proton getting, you're getting into your tre- your trekkie. Yeah, yeah. Like like the it, it just. It's like, let's cross the streams. That's going to solve every problem. You know, it's like, oh, look, that guy is stealing from that gas station. Let's cross the streams and, and shoot him. By the way, I didn't mention this, but Bobby Brown is it does have a cameo in this movie. And as they're uh, the one who sings that with. Well, I guess we're gonna have to take He's the guard that lets him into the mayor's house as they're coming in there. He's like, oh, can I get one of those proton packs that for my kid or whatever? Bobby Brown, isn't And uh, Egon goes, well, they're not, they're dangerous. They're not for kids. And and Ray's like, yeah, I guess he's right. But yeah, that dude that was letting him in and stuff, that wanted yeah. a proton pack, that was Bobby Brown. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this one, they actually use the, the slime that he was using to basically possess the city and to come back. It's now used by the Ghostbusters, positively charged. Instead of some kind of not uh, some pseudoscience, don't cross the stream, yeah. uh, proton implosion or whatever they called it. <laughs> um, it's 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 something where they've taken a uh, a mainstay of the movie, the entire movie, which is the slime, and what it was meant for was this negative force, and have reversed it now with the Statue of Liberty, but now they're spraying that into the painting and into Ray, and uh, and it, it makes sense, you know? It, it's 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 using that against him, you know? What he yeah. was using to to keep the city in that negative thing, now they've used to send him away forever. Yeah, and you get, you know, like, like for instance, you get a lot of these scenes where, you know, New York is is got a bad perception of, of being a... Uh, a negative, grumpy, non-friendly city, you know. And I went to New York, and I love New York. I love New York. You know, down Christmas time, everything else like that. You know, it's like I just saw pictures of them. You can't experience, you know, Christmas without including New York in there. You know what I mean? It's like that's what, like, whenever I see England, you yeah, know, England yeah. in the wintertime, I'm yeah. always like Christmas. Well, well, and like, like, like Elf, Nobody right? Nobody does Christmas like England. Yeah. yeah. With Elf, for, for instance, on that, that situation, you know. Home Alone too. They, they got the city to, to provide positivity, positivity where, you know, it's, it's always portraying New York as being, you know, negative and stuff like this. But then they throw stuff like this in, into the movies, you know, to, to show the positive side of New York, you know, and well, Spider-Man did that too. Exactly. But yeah, you know, when they after carried him off the train, well, you know. no, and the part one after nine 11, mm-hmm. cause the climax was supposed to take place at the world trade center and yeah. then it take place on the bridge. But they made a point of having the New Yorkers pummel green goblin was like, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Yeah. And that was really a statement against the terrorist or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's great what you know because New York is a character in this film. You know it really is. You know what I mean. And 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 in any of these films, you know New York's a big character. We're gonna see with this new one probably that you know it's not it's the first film of Ghostbusters even after the one that I don't even call Ghostbusters in 2016. <laughs> um, it's this newer one. It's the first film to not take place in New York. You know. So, you know, I'm kind of wondering how that film's going to be turned out, you know, comparable to to these ones with without having that New York feel. Yeah, and and 
taking yeah because even the 2016 uh had new york in it yeah it, it, but it didn't feel like New York, man. It, it wasn't like in the boroughs of New York. It was like you know. It felt like like Jersey one, or something. It felt like one neighborhood. That's yeah, that's yeah. what. Yeah, that, you know that's a good point. In the newer the newer Ghostbusters, it was 2016, right? Yeah, yeah. So in that newer that newer version, um, it's. Uh, Let me see where is it? It's a more positive side of yeah. New York. You know, it's portrayed but, as more positive. It, but it was almost like it was one little neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. I know that it went over in different places, but you felt like you were on like one street. Yeah. Whereas these two Ghostbusters movies feels like you're all over the city doing. Well, let me ask you this: Do you know a bad movie where New York is the main scene of the movie? You know, like the main area of the movie. I can't really name a bad movie that I've seen that's that's surrounding New York. You know, and that's the New York's like a character in the film. Like, I it's rare to see. You know, a bad movie with New York in it. <laughs> was you know the, what I mean? Was the room in New York? <laughs> uh, I don't know. What's his name? Well, as long as Avatar wasn't in New York. Oh, you know, geez. Uh, Avatar. I'm pretty sure that was a few million light mirrors away from New York. Yep. You said light mirrors. Exactly. Light that's, years. That, that's what that light movie gives me. Light mirrors. It's no, not I even said light years. And nobody would have thought differently unless you had said something. It gives me nightmares during the day, so it's light mirrors. What is this Ghostbusters The Inside Story and it has Vigo on it? Is this a book? I want to read that. <laughs> from the uh, stories from the cast and crew, hardcover illustrated. I'm I'm adding it to cart right now. Add to cart. <laughs> See, and that's for that. for me, I, I love Ghostbusters, you know, and I love this film. I love the first one better. I'm not gonna lie. The first one was better. When we did the first one, you said that this because I remember I said the second one is my personal favorite, and you said you too. Now, now that you've watched it again, did you change your mind? Yes, I did. And and you know what the the number one reason for me is I felt like Bill Murray gave a lackluster performance in this one comparable to the first one. Yeah, he was more interesting in the first one. I don't know if his performance was lackluster, but his was definitely more interesting because he was still struggling to find out who he is. Whereas in this one, um, he is a nicer person mm. uh he's presented as a nicer person and he doesn't really have any mountains to get over you know uh, dana already wants to be with him again yeah. you know he doesn't have to win her back again she's already yeah. like you know oh does peter ever talk about me but a yeah. lot of bill mary characters are very self-destructive if you notice like any, self-absorbed any, self-absorbed and self-destructive i mean like groundhog's day i mean you know in in a lot of these films that he's done he's very self-destructive in these films except for this one he wasn't very self-destructive in this film he it was very more of a positive and he wasn't note. immature he no, he'd done a right. lot of growing up so yeah i mean he had to be he was the more professional version of vekman um this is what i guess a success. and that's why i didn't like it I, I i don't like that type of performance from bill murray yeah this is like a successful vekman and but i mean you didn't you wouldn't want him to be like downtrodden again not downtrodden because then it'd be like okay we gotta go through this crap again you know yeah and and i think i would have been disappointed like obviously they you know for the romantic interest or whatever you got to find a way to break them up between movies and then have them get back together again or whatever well i mean you, you see actors like like uh adam sandler right who he very sarcastic type comedians where I'm not saying Bill Murray did it first because I mean you had George Carlton and you know you had a lot of these other comedians tons of other comedians that did it you know well it was around the time of Bill Murray you know when he first came out but you know 
Adam Sandler, I, I feel like he pulls a lot. He was like the Bill Murray of Saturday Night Live when he was on Saturday Night Live in a way. You know what I mean? It's like that sarcastic outlook on life. Who It just seems out like it works for him very well. And that's, that's you know, I feel like Bill Murray, you know, how he is on films, being sarcastic and being a smart ass. I thought that was more like David Spade. You know, being the real sarcastic. I think. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, Bill Murray did it before David Spade, though. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah I know, I know what you're saying, and, and and the way he is, he works better as like an eclectic person that just talks crap. Yeah, that has <laughs> struggles know, to it. to kind of keep his crap together, yeah. but usually pulls it together by the end of the movie. But then you have to kind of assume after that movie, it's going to all fall apart again because yeah. that's how his you know that's how his character because he's a best. true he's a true Chicago comedian yeah you know like chicago and new york comedians they're very very sarcastic and they speak their mind mm -hmm. i mean it's it's like if they don't like strong personality yeah yeah if they don't like that shirt you're wearing they're gonna make fun of you because of it yeah you know and they're gonna be sarcastic but they're not gonna be like violently rude to you you know what but i, mean? I would but be gonna... i would be disappointed if venkman came back that same way because he was super self-absorbed. He didn't care about anything. He didn't really care about the ghost person. All he cared about was fame. But by the end of the movie, you liked him because not only is he charming, um, and he, he uh, despite all his crappy behavior, you know, he's still a good friend to the rest of the Ghostbusters. But then he actually felt something for Dana and felt something. He was willing to put his life in danger to save her life. And if they had reverted back and had him be that same type of person... It just wouldn't work. So he had to be a certain, he had to be a certain, um, had to have a certain type of growth. But you see that he's still kind of shallow because of the game show or the talk show, right? Yeah. He still makes fun of these people, and he's kind of taking the piss out of what they, what they were known for, you know? Yeah. Uh, whereas the others are kind of just like kind of crept back into their own little corners. He's been kind of like. Uh, trying to take what he can and get and you know squeeze as much fame as out of it as he can. Yeah. Um, and then you know he's brought back to Dana, who is always the one that makes him a better person. Right. Right. And I feel like she's probably the only one that can make him a better person. And the time that they are away from each other, he's kind of fallen back into his routine. So I can I can take that as more believable than him just going back into his routine for no reason. He's gone back because he was left because he didn't make. He didn't jump on that train, you know. Yeah, I mean? and, and and I think this quote by Bill Murray, he uh, he states in this quote, it really kind of represents his type of acting, I think. And he says, "There are people who drove me crazy, but they got the job done. And when I see that person again, I nod my head in respect, you know. And that's the kind of comedian he was. He he's he's not he has no filter, you know what I mean. And he's very when he brings a a, a character to life, he 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 does it his own way. Yeah. You know, and it, if you don't like it, well, that's Bill Murray for you. You wanted Bill Murray on the set. This is what you get for Bill Murray. But it doesn't mean he doesn't respect you, even though he might be going back and forth with you and, and, and messing with you about this and that. It doesn't mean that he doesn't respect you. And that's why he has so much respect in Hollywood. Not because he's a recluse and he keeps out of the drama, the kind of thing. But it's just he brings to a role, you know, he, he knows how to mature a role. You know very well, and and just like with Ghostbusters one to Ghostbusters two, he matured that role short term well enough. Does. Yeah, yeah, because he can't do it again. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel. I feel like 
um, there's there's a limit to his, his board reach. Yeah, his boredness of the character will really come through if he plays it more than yeah. once or twice. Yeah, because you could tell that he's somebody that'll take a character and then when he's done playing it, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. He's bored with that mm-hmm. and he wants to go on to the next one. And you feel like if he has to do it again, like he did in this movie, there's a bit of phoning it in. Yeah, and and now I think it worked here because of he had to have some kind of growth. Mm-hmm. We can't go back to the same Bankman in the first one, yeah. or then he becomes truly unlikable, because you're like this guy doesn't change. At least in the first one, there's there's the the semblance of change that he had towards the end of the movie, and you think, okay, he can go on and become actually a good person or maybe mm-hmm. even a hero. Um, but in this one, it shows that he st- it still keeps the like the little kind of sliminess about him. Um, that makes him, that keeps him separate from other people, mm-hmm. which you need for a character like that. Yeah. Um, but it does it in a way that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but um, I, I enjoyed the way they did it, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy this movie. Um, I, I'll i be the first to admit that part one is the superior movie. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I think maybe I saw this one a bit more or something. Uh, yeah. There's just something about this movie that I really enjoyed and I liked about that I would uh, watch it again. I think it was a better made movie. You know, the special effects. Obviously, they threw a lot more money at this one. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it looked better. Um, the special effects looked really good. But yeah, it's, it's, it's missing the... The gorilla feel or the the unsure unsuredness of the first one, yeah, where you, you this is completely new and these these guys have no confidence in themselves except for the fact that they know that ghosts are real and they got to do something about it and they're the only ones that can do something about mm-hmm. it and they don't know what they're going to get themselves into, yeah, and they're scared and all that. That's all changed in the second movie, but that's called growth <laughs> yeah you know that's called character development yeah so they can't be that the, the, the thing that made that so great you can't repeat that there are some movies that are just lightning in a bottle yeah try as you may you will never ever ever get the same success in that and the closest you can get is to do a somewhat beat by beat recreation you, you take the beats that worked that makes sense for the movie and you know that this works for this type of movie but then you change the story. You make them. You make them different in its own story. And I think this movie did an amazing job at doing that. Yeah. Yes, it's not the same movie. It can't be. Um, that was lightning a bottle. But now you have to have growth of the characters, or else you're just repeating it. Because if they had done something completely different, then that's. Uh, it may have just been like, oh, that's terrible. You know, nobody yeah. likes it now. Yeah. At least they went with a formula they know would work. And they did it in a way that the characters develop make development makes sense. Yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, but um, really excited to see the new Ghostbusters movie. Uh, we get to see some Rick Moranis in it, and uh, and we'll see if it's a Ghostbusters movie. You know, mm-hmm. I, I we had said Ghostbusters one is a Ghostbusters Ghostbusters movie. Ghostbusters two, it was written. Both of them were written by Rick Moranis, eh, Rick Moranis, Dan Aykroyd, and uh, Harold Ramis. Uh, tight scripts and everything. The new uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters, that was a team of hilarious women that were scientists that figured out a way of fighting ghosts. 
Sounds like Ghostbusters. Yeah. It was not Ghostbusters. Not even close. And it had a terrible story. Yeah. It had a, it basically was a cartoon. It should have been a cartoon because that's how it, what it turned into at the end. There was so much CGI. It was ridiculous. I think they were just like, oh, we can do a Ghostbusters and finally have really good CGI. Let's go yeah. overboard. That's not what Ghostbusters did. They had no. practical effects with a little mm-hmm. bit of CGI on top of it. You know, those dogs and stuff. It was all practical effects. And that's what I'm seeing in some of the previews for this new one. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see if it's a Ghostbusters movie. I think either way, it's still going to be feel a lot more fun because it's going to have a lot of callbacks and everything. So hopefully it's good. If you guys get a chance to watch Ghostbusters 2, watch it. Peter McNichol is is a scene stealer in every scene that he's in. He's amazing. He's hilarious. Uh, Ghostbusters are Ghostbusters again. Um, they're all pretty much the same little tweaks here and there, but they're Ghostbusters. This is a mm-hmm. Ghostbusters movie. Uh, and it's Absolutely. a good, it's a good time if you don't try to make it be part one. Yeah. So, uh, but do you have anything else? Oh, what's your favorite scene in this movie? The Statue of Liberty scene. Okay. I think we already mentioned that. Yeah. Um, is that my favorite scene? Mine might be... You said the courtroom, though, right? Yeah, I think the courtroom and and when they go for the swim in the slime. Yeah. And they come up and they fight each other and they have to strip down and you kind of get an ominous sense of what's going on when it gets really built up to the ominous at the end and everything. Of course, I love the montage of ghosts that we get in yeah. both movies. But, yeah, I think the courtroom is my favorite scene. I think it's the best ghost-busting scene. So. Give this movie a watch. Go watch the new one. I hear it's going to be a fantastic movie. Uh, a lot of uh, fan service and everything, so pretty excited about that. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast, except for Twitter, we're at the Post Credit. Our email address is thepostcreditpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website, it's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a ghost. Well, I guess.